Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Have a great day. Hi, everybody. My name is Russell, and I'm an alcoholic. And I'm a member of the Carl Gables Group of Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, thank you, Billy. And it's good to be here. And I missed you all. Uh, although I had a great time in Greensboro, North Carolina, and, um, you know, uh, uh, well, this is an easy group. It doesn't take much to get an applause in this, just Greensboro. Um, and, uh, I've decided whether I was, I was trying to think whether I should talk about the third step. Uh, you know, I talk a lot about God, you know, it sort of bores people. So I'm, I'm thinking, should I talk about the third step or should I talk about Greensboro? I've decided to talk tonight about my trip to Greensboro, and uh, I want to tell you a little bit about that deal. I think, uh, you know, since it has to do with my life and me, of course, I think it's important. And uh, you, know, you don't want to talk about that third step stuff anyway. You know, it's God stuff. But we'll uh, we'll see whether we can fit some of that stuff in, because uh, um, I've discovered that uh, I think staying sober has a lot to do with uh, Greensboro, North Carolina. And uh, I came to this realization on my fourth day in Greensboro that really sobriety is all about uh, Greensboro, you know. And, uh, you know, to me it's sort of clear. You know, I was talking to uh, Dan. Where's Dan? Dan drove up here and I was trying to explain it to him. And he, I think you understood what I was saying, you know. And it seems so clear to me. And <clears throat> funny thing about this thing is it just, I know there's some people that they... It's not clear to them, so, you know, I don't know. It's just, Apostle Paul said, said, these things are foolishness. The things of the spirit are foolishness to some people, and they're spiritually discerned, and it has very little to do with with uh, with intelligence. You know, in, uh, in the chapter, um, when Roland Hazard is talking to Dr. Young and he submits himself to treatment and a lot of us go to treatment centers. You know, I didn't, but there's nothing wrong with them and uh, I think they're great for what they do. They dry you up and get you ready to uh, get the real deal. Uh, and, uh, and one of the things that Roland Hazard got out of this treatment center was the psychological knowledge, the, the, the sort of like the inner workings of his mind. And he said, I was convinced that now knowing the inner workings of my mind, that drinking was impossible. Then I think the next line is, nevertheless, he was drunk in a few days. And uh, a lot of us sort of go through life really believing, even though we mouth the words that we're powerless, really believing that we have some sort of power in in getting this thing because of our intellectual abilities to understand ourselves. And that if I just read another book or do another fourth step or go to yet another treatment center or get a different sponsor, I will just understand the inner workings of my mind so much, like Roland Hazard, that drinking will be impossible. And we just keep on drinking and drinking and falling on our faces and just, just mismanaging our lives because we actually believe that we're alcoholics and we can manage our own lives. When the big book says that the, the three things that we have to absolutely understand is that we're alcoholics and we'll never be able to manage our own lives. That no doctor, no human power, no wife, no husband can ever relieve our alcoholism and only God could and would if he were sought. And that's the three simple things. And, and some of us, no matter how much we hear that 
and how much we talk about powerlessness through a million different ways, we'll fool ourselves into believing we're doing the AA program. What we're really doing is just trying to prove that we have the power to manage our lives. Either through honestly believing that we can do good orderly direction, to, to actually believe that we could do good orderly direction because we've done it before in the past or we can do it in the future. When, when, when the bottom line is, is the big book says, it says if a mere code of morals or a better philosophy of life could have saved us, many of us would have recovered, but those things didn't work us, with us because over the long run, maybe over the short run, maybe we could keep it together over the short run, but over the long run, it says we had a lack of power to keep it up. See, it doesn't matter if you do good orderly direction for 10 years. You know, if on the 10th year and the first day you go out and get drunk and you smash into your car and you kill a three-year-old, it really doesn't count for much, does it? So how do you stay so for 25, 35, 45 years? You know, is it really the answer that you just got to be smart enough and sharp enough so that you do everything right every single day? What if you're somebody like me that you screws up, you screw up 80% of the time? Is it possible to be a total screw up and be happy and stay sober anyway? See, I'd rather be a screw up like I am and goofy and crazy and nuts and not really that well and be just happy anyway and not drink then have to worry about whether I'm doing this good early direction stuff because, you know, I'd be really screwed up because I'm never doing it. I'm really not that good at it. Uh, but all I can talk about is my life and uh, how, how I understand this stuff. And, you know, either it works for you or it doesn't, you know. And so I, and in order to do that, I really need to talk about Greensboro. That's um that's a big deal. You see this what this has to you see here's the question I want to ask you that you need to ask yourself. You need to ask yourself where you live. I mean, do you all know where you live? Does anybody you know? Where do you live? Where do you live? You think that, huh? Yeah, well it's a matter of knowing where you live, you know? So uh so that's the question you need to ask yourself when you're driving home tonight. Where do I live? So let me read a few things, and then let me tell you about Greensboro, North Carolina. There's things from the big book, because I like to read some things from the big book, because that way, no matter how bad this gets, you get a little puree, you can say, well, you know, I've got something. He read this stuff, okay? This stuff may have to do with the third step or not. I don't know. My friend promised that when these things were done, I would enter upon a new relationship with my creator, that I would have the elements of a way of living which answered all my problems. Now, how would you like to have that? The elements of a way of living that answered all your problems. Does anybody ever have, has anybody, does anybody have problems here tonight? I got some problems going on. You ever, you know, and if you don't have problems tonight, has anybody have any, like, had, had any problems like in the past? Anybody thinking that they may have some problems in the future? You know, how would you like to have the elements of a way of living which answered all your problems? Not just some of your problems, all of your problems. Would that be, that'd be a pretty good thing. You know, some people would pay thousands and thousands of dollars to go to psychiatrists for many years just to have a little, just have that like, a, like a piece, a shot at that deal. How would you like to have that in your pocket like for nothing? Belief in the power of God. Belief in the power of God. You know, they could have used the word higher power there. Did you know that? And, you know, they knew when they wrote this book that people, you know, they knew when they wrote this book that alcoholics in general did not like the concept of God. 
You ever ask yourself, as a matter of fact, there's another part of the book that I'm going to read you, that not only they knew it, they were sure of it. They wrote a whole section on Chapter of the Ignatius that said the one thing that bothers alcoholics is they can't accept the idea of a God. So let me ask you this. Why didn't they use higher power throughout the whole book? Why did they ever go to the God thing? Why didn't they just use the ever think this? I mean, most of us in AA, I shouldn't say most of us, but there's a great movement in AA to try to replace the word God with higher power. To make it more political correct, to make it a little, to sort of like water down AA just sufficiently so that everybody can jump through the hoop. And hopefully everybody will sort of water it down sufficiently and everybody will get to jump through the hoop and then like nobody will ever have to get the real deal. Why didn't they do that? Why didn't the founders just, you know, get rid of the word God? They didn't have to use the word God. They could have just used higher power all the way through. We would never have to deal with it. You could have, you know, said the great monkey or, you know, whatever, you know, the doorknob, you know, the great orderly director. You could have done that thing. Belief in the power of God plus enough willingness, honesty, and humility to establish and maintain the new order of things were the essential requirements. On page 28, if what we have learned and felt and seen means anything at all, it means that all of us, whatever our race, creed, or color, that means all of you, are the children of a living creator with whom we may form a relationship upon simple and understandable terms as soon as we are willing and honest enough to try. You know, I I, um, I know that sometimes when I talk, I get people upset because they feel comfortable with the concept, because they're sober. They feel comfortable with the concept they've developed with themselves, and they feel like I'm assaulting that concept. Now, the first thing is, you don't have to believe anything I say. I'm just reading from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm not going to change the writing of the Big Book of Alcoholics it's just because it makes you feel uncomfortable. So you could just... Disagree with me. That's okay. I mean, I ain't God. I don't know. But I'm just going to read from the big book based upon what I see and what I felt and what I found. And, and what I'm suggesting to you is that, is that when they talk about, when they say, if what we have learned and felt and seen means anything at all, if what we're saying means anything, it means that all of us, whatever our race, creed, and color, are the children of a living creator that we can have a relationship, that there is a God there is a creator, you were created, and you can have a relationship with this creator. And believe me, that is a different thing than saying that you are the creator and you have the power to live life with good orderly direction. There is a, there is a huge difference between the concept of you have the power to live your life because there's something so great about you and you can just do everything right and good and you'll be able to do this. And you have the ability to have a relationship with God, and God exists. There is a fundamental huge difference, and there is no question on what side of the equation the founders in the big book come down on. There's no question. Lack of power, that was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live, and it had to be a power greater than ourselves, obviously, but where and how we define this power? Well, that's exactly what this book is about. Its main object is to enable you to find a power 
greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. That means we have written a book which we believe to be spiritual as well as normal, and it means, of course, of course, that we are going to talk about God. And then I walk out of an A meeting and some guy comes up to me and says, you know, I, you know, I hear a lot about you. You know, the only thing is I hear you talk so, uh, too much about God. I mean, like, are we on the same fellowship? Are we reading the same material here? Many of us have been so touchy that even casual reference to spiritual things made us bristle with antagonism. This sort of thinking had to be, what? Abandoned. You got to get over it. You know, deal with it. Or, maybe I like the way Bob, uh, Dr. Bob said it. If you think I'm a little too tough on it. Let's talk about Dr. Bob's nightmare where he says, if you think you are an atheist, an agnostic, a skeptic, or have any form of intellectual pride which keeps you from accepting what is in this book, I feel sorry for you. Your heavenly Father will never let you down. I don't understand how people can read this book and not get it. But, you know, then again, I don't understand why people drink again either. There's a lot of things I don't understand. When we sincerely took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. They're talking about the position of t turning your will and your life over to the care of God. Turning your will and your life over to the care, care of God, which is saying really the same thing as saying, that's a little bit rougher now. You can hate me for this, a little bit rougher. It says, you forfeit your life to, to God. Your life is now His. It's, it's His. You had, hey listen, you had your shot. It's not like you didn't have your shot. Nobody in here didn't have, didn't you? I came in when I was 31. I had my shot. I can't say I was the CEO for 31 years. I had my shot. You know? You guys are all adults. You came in. You had your shot. How'd you do with it? They made you captain of the ship. You were captain of the Titanic. They gave it to you, you know, for what? 20 years? 30 years? How'd you do with it? You ran it into the ground. Now you're going to have to turn over the steering wheel to somebody else. You know, what is what you have to do? You know, I mean, it's in, it's incredible to me. I sponsor these guys. I sponsor all sorts of guys. I sponsor these guys. They don't get it. They don't get it. One guy went up to him again today, and he's been saying the same thing for 10 years. 10 years, the same exact thing. He stays sober for a while, and I said, we're going up on Friday night to the meeting. He says, why don't you come? He says, oh, there's something else I have to do tonight. He doesn't get it. There's not something else he has to do tonight. There's something else he wants to do tonight. He thinks this has something to do with what he wants to do because, you see, he's still in control of his life. He hasn't forfeited his life to God. He doesn't understand that his life isn't his anymore. He's taken his life back. And what he wants to do is go with his wife out with another couple or something like that. Do the same thing he's been doing for 10 years and then come up to me a year from now or six months from now and say, why can't I stop drinking? Like he's done for the last 10 years. I go to AA for three or four weeks or three or four weeks and I do this and I've done that and I do that and I feel good and then I don't understand why I can't stop drinking. I said, because you won't give it up. He doesn't even understand what I'm talking about. He's a bright guy. When we sincerely took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. We had a new employer. 
being all-powerful. He provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. Not if we kept away from him and did whatever the hell we wanted to do. Established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves, our little plans and designs. More and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. As we felt new power flow in it, as we enjoyed peace of mind, as we discovered we could face life successfully, as we became conscious of his presence, we began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, hereafter, we were reborn. Let no alcoholic say he cannot recover unless he has his family back. This just isn't so. In some cases, the wife will never come back for one reason or another. Remind the prospect that his recovery is not dependent upon people. It is dependent upon his relationship with God. It's not even dependent upon whether you do good orderly direction. You ready for that? You can do bad orderly direction and still get it. You can be, listen, you can do good orderly direction and, and still drink. Did you know that? You can do everything right and still drink. You can do everything you right. You can do everything right perfectly. Make a lot of money and 15 years sober. Put the muzzle of a gun in your mouth and pull the trigger. Because you're so lonely and alone, you're living life of quiet direction, and you can screw everything up, and screw the whole thing up, and have a relationship with God and be happy as a clam and not drink. It has nothing to do with whether you do it perfectly. Because I got news for you: you won't, and you can't. You can't. That's why we have the tenth step. To remind you that you can't do it perfectly. That doesn't mean you shouldn't try. But the name of this game, trust me, Alcoholics Anonymous is not do it perfectly. You know, that's, that's not the name of this deal. We're alcoholics. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous is about living life perfectly. And there's only one way to live life perfectly. And that has to do with faith. People of faith have courage. People of faith get through. I know who wins this deal. But, you know, that's what it says in pay, in, uh, we never apologize for anyone dependent, for dependent upon our creator. We can laugh at those who think spirituality is a way of weakness. Paradoxically, it is a way of strength. The verdict of the ages is that faith means courage. All men of faith have courage. They trust their God. We never apologize for God. Instead, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. We ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be at once we commence to outgrow fear. <clears throat> Burn the idea into the consciousness of every man that he can get well regardless of anyone. The only condition is that he trust in God in clean house. So you may say, but I will not have the benefit of contact with you who write this book. I won't be able to hang out with you guys. Oh, if I could only hang, if I only had the perfect sponsor. Oh, if I only went to the perfect treatment center. Oh, if I could only do the perfect fourth. Oh, if I could only hang out with those guys or that guy or, you know. But I will not have the benefit of contact with you. We cannot be sure. God will determine that. That's pretty weird. You won't even determine that. God will determine that. So you must remember that your real reliance is always upon him. He will show you how to create the fellowship you crave. I'll tell you what, if that's all true, and they wouldn't have said it was true, I'd be really concerned about knowing him. I don't know who he is, but whoever he is that they're talking about, I'd want to know him. I'd be, I'd be walking around saying, who is he? I mean, that's what I'd be doing. I'd be, tug I'd be following people who I thought might know him. Or might have some clues as to where he might be. 
And I'd be saying, you know that he got, you know that him guy that they keep talking in the book? Who do you think he is? And where could I find him? That's what I'd be concerned about. Because I need to find him because he's the one who's going to show me how to create the fellowship I crave. And I need to get a hold of that guy. That's what I'd be doing in Alcoholics Anonymous. I'd be looking for him. Or at least hanging out for guys who I thought might know where I could find the trail of him. Instead of looking for him, most of us are sitting around thinking about them. You know who they are. They're the reason we're in here. Because of them. You better stop thinking about them and stop thinking about start thinking about him. If you spent less attention to them and more attention to him, you'd be in better shape. Because them, they ain't going to pay your visa bill. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him. There he is again. Whoever he is. I mean, this book is so much about him. I mean, I, I, I hate to tell you this. Man, I can't believe that kid went up to me. God bless him. You speak too much about God. This whole book is about God. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. We're in a fellowship where you have to ask him in your morning meditation. And most of us don't even want to know who he is. And we don't want to hear from anybody who's talking about him. <laughs> Why do I drink? Because you're goofy. Stuck on stupid. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right. There he is again. And great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact in AA, your relationship with him. Where do you live? Where do you live? Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him. There he is again, and your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. You want to be at that deal. You want to be in the fellowship of the Spirit. You don't only want to be in AA. You got a lot of people in AA. You got very few people in the fellowship of the Spirit. And I don't know where the fellowship of the Spirit is, but, you know, apparently there's some people in that fellowship. They may be around AA. They may be outside of AA. You know, your job is to track them suckers down if you're interested. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. So apparently if you're trudging the road of happy destiny, if you're on the right road, you're probably going to bump into some of these people. You know, you'll know who they are. You'll know who they are. I knew who they were. I can tell you that. It's pretty clear to me. May God bless you and keep you until then. So now let's get to the important stuff. Greensboro. Third step stuff. Let's talk about Greensboro. So about 23 years ago, um, I uh, sponsored a guy named Scott, a young man. He must have been 19 years old. He was his mother called me, Marnie from uh, Greensboro, and uh, he was in jail. And you know, I'm a criminal defense attorney, so she said, "What do I do?" I said, "Keep him there." And he used to call me up, and he said, "I've been here for." Three months, I said, well, you may be there for 30 years, you know. I gave him one of those Ray O'Keefe lines. He says, I feel terrible. I said, this may be the best you ever feel. <laughs> he got out of there, and he uh, stayed sober. He did very, very well. And I linked him up with another guy I sponsor who comes here every once in a while uh, named Dave, David S. David's in, 
in Spain now with his wife and child, and uh, otherwise he'd be here. And uh, they became very good friends, and they they uh, they were like a buddies. We used to go to meetings together, and and when uh, Scott had about three or four years, he died tragically in a car accident, and that was a very sad thing. But in any event, um, myself and Dave went up to Greensville, North Carolina, to uh, uh, be at his funeral, and that's when I first actually met, met really met, and became friendly with. Uh, um, Marnie and Jim, who are his uh, mother and uh, stepfather, who are both uh, many years in recovery. And uh, we uh, formed a friendship, and they have two other daughters, uh, Jennifer and Iggy. Well, it's Isabel. I call her Iggy. And they were little at that time. But And so uh, every few years or so, we go up and visit them up in Greensboro. And it's kind of neat. Um, and uh, so uh, what happened was I went up there. The reason I couldn't be here last week is because Isabel, Iggy, was getting married to a young man, great kid named John, and they had a beautiful wedding. That was wonderful. And I'm not going to take you through the whole wedding, but uh, just it was just a really, uh, it was great to be there. Now, now you see, I uh, it's an interesting thing about, I, I didn't get much sleep last night. I had to catch about an hour. I had to come home early and get a sleep for an hour because I'd be snoozing right now. Because I found myself up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I want to tell you a little bit about that. But uh, in order to understand that, you got to understand a little bit about Greensboro. Uh, I uh, We flew up into uh, Raleigh-Durham Airport because you can get a non-stopper on American Airlines into Raleigh-Durham. Raleigh-Durham is only an hour away from Greensboro. And, uh, you know, I live in Miami, you know, South Miami. But, you know, I, I look at this whole deal we're in right now, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, all this thing. I know we're a little bit different. It's like one big mega crazy thing, you know what I mean? It's one big, uh, I mean, I just drove up here from Miami to, uh, it was wild, bumper to bumper, crazy. And you don't go anywhere. They don't even have a good time of the day for traffic in Miami. I don't think they have a good time of the day. Maybe 3 in the morning or something. It don't matter. 7 a.m., it used to be like at 6 a.m. or at 7 a.m. or at 12 o'clock. It don't matter. You leave your house, you go anywhere in Miami, it's three hours. You go anywhere, it's an hour. You know what I mean? It's 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock. It's bumper to bumper all the way through. I live in a house. I don't know how many of you all do this deal, where in front of my house there's a sign that says, Protected by Brinks Home Security. And to get into my house, what I have to do is not only I, I turn a key, but after I get in, I got uh, some thing goes off, I got to punch something in order to get into my house, like a vault. You know what I mean? I live in a vault is what I live in. I punch these numbers and the vault thing goes off. I just got a, a message from them that the alarm has to go off two times and a, there's a new ordinance that has to go off two times and a flare has to go up before they call the police. And, you know, and uh, I guess it means that the best thing Brinks will do for you now is maybe they'll allow the cops to discover the bodies or something. I don't, but in any event, you, you punch the button and you go in and then you close the door and then you punch the button again and you lock yourself in the vault. And you punch it in a certain way so you can, like, walk around in the vault, you know what I mean, without setting it off. But if anybody tries to get in, or if you try to get out, then then the alarm will go off. And and that's the way I live my life. I live my life that way. Every day I go in and out of the vault. Can you imagine? It's like, every night, it's like going into a jail cell. Every night I go in and out of the vault. You know, there's a line in the big book. You know, remember that line? I'm not sure where it is. I can find it right here. It says, to us, it says, I love this part. Here it says, because it really is so much like our deal. It says right here in uh, 
I think it's in the doctor's opinion. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive. While they admit it's injurious, they cannot after time differentiate the truth from the false. Now listen to this. Here's the line. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. Seems normal. You know what? I was drinking. As crazy as it was, seemed normal. I go in and out of the vault every day. It's as normal to me. I didn't even know. I didn't even realize there's another way to live. I think everybody lives in the vault. You know? I don't even think anything of it. It's just second nature to me. Come to get in, second in to get out. You know? And then I get in my car and I drive three hours in rush hour traffic every day there and back. And I do this deal that we do in South Florida and I pay all my paycheck and 90% of all my money I have to insurance. You don't even want to know about insurance. You know what I mean? I got a wife, I got kids, I got between health and car and hurricane and everything. There's $2 left over, I think, for rent or something. I don't even know, you know. But you know something? This is a, this is, this is my life in, I've lived in Miami. I'm 57 years old. I'm 25 years, 20, almost 26 years sober. And I've lived in Miami for 40 years. And to me, this life is the only normal one. This is norm, this is normal for me. This is set. Whatever this life is that I live, leaving my house at six o'clock at night to be up here like two hours later in Russia is normal for me. I hardly, th- I mean, I, in the middle of it, I might say, oh man, look at all this traffic and everything, but this is the most normal thing in the world to me. Living my life in traffic is normal to me. Locking myself in the vault is normal to me. Paying every cent I have just so I can pay for insurance so my house doesn't get blown away is normal for me. You know what I mean? The, the, the kind of prices we pay, it's all normal for me. And I'm not complaining, I'm just telling you, this is a normal life for me. In AA. In AA and out of AA, and this is just normal. So I'm going up to Greensboro, so I get to Raleigh-Durham Airport, and you have to drive, there's a, there's a thoroughfare, an expressway from Raleigh-Durham to Greensboro, and I'm driving along that, that thoroughfare, and, and I don't think I even noticed it, but it, it was a pretty nice drive, but I think it was me and like two cars. I, I, I fly up during a weekday, like a Monday or Tuesday, and there's like me and three other cars on the road. So we get to their house, Marty and Jim's house, and I notice the cars in the drive. I'm trying to call them up, but they're not answering. You know, I'm here, I'm in, and I get to their house, and, and, uh, I notice nobody's answering the phone, I just notice the cars are all in the driveway. So I figure they're home, so I go up to their house, you know, the gates open, and, and I walk in, the door's open, and I walk around the house and say, Marnie, Jim, and nobody's home. And the front door's open, and the back door's open, and uh, because apparently uh, they just don't lock their doors in Greensboro, North Carolina. Not only don't they lock their doors, the doors are open. You don't even have to open up, they're just like open. They apparently just left to go somewhere, I don't know. And, uh, you know, it's sort of registering with me, you know, because it's like interesting, you know, but it's not really registering me, but it's, re- I mean, I'm noticing it, but, you know, hmm, isn't that interesting? Door's not, th- nobody's here? Door's open, you know? I, fr- I figured I was going to walk in and somewhere find bodies, you know? So I, I'm in Greensboro, and we're driving around, we're doing different things, I'm not going to tell you about it, but the point is, um, it, uh, something occurred to me uh, while I was in Greensboro, uh, Besides their lack of Starbucks, they actually, I did learn they do have two or three Starbucks up there. Not one in every block because they have different other coffee places. But, uh, because what's normal for me is Starbucks all over the place. You know what I mean? 
and uh, they don't have that deal. But um, uh, what it occurred to me was that um, uh, somewhere around the fourth day I was in Greensboro, around a Thursday or something, all of a sudden it hit me. It just sort of hit me. You ever have something in AA, you know, like, you know, it's sort of like something that's been happening to you for years and then, or months, and all of a sudden it, like, hits you. Like, I remember when I first got sober, I realized it hit me that I had money. You know what I mean? I woke up one day and I say, crap, where'd that come from? There was, like, money on the dresser. You know what I mean? I realized, like, I'd have money, you know? <laughs> I never woke up with money, you know? I always woke up broke, you know, because I had spent all the money. And uh, you start realizing, so I, around the fourth day, I realized something. I was driving, and it was a Friday, and it was around 3 o'clock, and I was downtown Greensboro, and I realized uh, something. I already, I, I just connected with something that had been happening every day I was in Greensboro, but I never really noticed it or, or really became aware of it. I realized for the first time that it was absolutely true that there was just one other car on the road. That there was just one, there was just me and one, I mean, this is like three o'clock on a Friday in downtown. There was like me and one other car on the road, maybe two. And all of a sudden it hit me. I said, it's like this all the time here. This is, this is, this is, you see, I'm so used to Miami, Miami and South Florida and Fort Lauderdale and I-95. That's such a normal way of life. I'm so, that's so much my normal that I'm like that alcoholic in the book. He says, for him, his alcoholic life seems the only normal one. I can't even envision that there's another way of doing it. I mean, the concept that you know, all of a sudden it hit me. I says, this is the way these people live all the time. Their doors open, no traffic, no cars. Houses that are on three acres that are half the price of ours. This is the way they live. They, they live this way all the time without even thinking about it. I didn't even, you know, you know, and if you came to Miami, you could come to Miami, you could show me pictures of Greensboro, and you could tell me all about Greensboro, like I'm telling you about this right now, but, and just like I'm telling you this about this right now, but let me tell you something. Showing people pictures and even telling people about it, it ain't nothing like there is let me tell you, no matter what I say to you tonight, it will not substitute for you being in Greensboro with me. I mean, the only way you would even understand or comprehend what I was talking about is you and I would have to hang out in Greensboro together. We'd have to hang around Greensboro. We'd have to drive around Greensboro for four or five days for about a week. You'd have to do that deal for about a week and realize, holy crap, this is unbelievable. This is, this is, this is another way of doing it. And then you know what I found out? Greensboro isn't even like one of the nicer places in North Carolina. So you don't want to live here. You want to live around Asheville. You know, around Hendersonville. You know, in the Smoky Mountains. You know, you, that's, or the Blue Ridge Mountains or something. And you know, I've started thinking, holy man, I'll tell you, I started thinking about Greensboro. I started thinking about, man, what would it be like to live in Greensboro all the time? No traffic, no insurance payments, no hurricane insurance payments, no car insurance payments, uh, you know, houses on two acres that are half the prices, no taxes, no, leave your doors up. What would it be like to live in Greensboro? I was like freaking out. 
you know, living in Greensboro, the Greensboro, or, or you know, so, which probably explains why at 3 o'clock in the morning I woke up and I got on the Internet and I spent three hours looking for houses all over <laughs> Asheville, Hendersonville. Hey, my son's moving to Knoxville. Might as well look at Gatlinburg, Tennessee. I found some pretty neat stuff. And, you know, the more you look, then you get really crazy. Then it gets really nuts. All of a sudden, like, I'm becoming obsessive compulsive. I'm saying, now, how can I do this thing? I can commute. It's only a two-hour flight. What's the big deal? That's like a drive from here. That's like tonight. I'll live in Greensville. I'll fly. I'll keep my office open. I'll fly down here and fly back a couple days a week. That's okay with me. You know, what am I doing in here in this town? I'll fly down here every Friday. I'll do the steps. Ain't no problem. Fly back again on Monday, you know? Sounds fine to me. I'm just sort of focused on, I'm talking to people about Greensboro. I have breakfast with my friend Jack this morning. He says, what do you think? He says, I think I'm moving to Asheville. He says, are you crazy? I said, I think I am, you know? I'm going to do it. You know, I am going to do it. I'm not going to do it this week or something, but I'm going to, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about move doing that. Now, now here's the deal. You know, I'm thinking to myself, as I'm driving around, uh, Greensboro, when I, when I had that realization, when I had that realization, that, you know, when, when I was there driving at 3 o'clock in the afternoon in Greensboro and downtown, it was like one other car on the road, and all of a sudden that thing came to me. Holy crap, this is the way it is here. This isn't a fluke. This is it. Uh, I started thinking about the way it was for me when I first came into Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't know how those two things connected. I just started thinking about my life when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I realized that my whole brain, when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, was like a bad traffic day in Miami. It was like so jumbled up, so bad, so screwed up. It was like you imagine the worst, the hottest, the most horrible day in Miami, the worst traffic day in Miami, and that was my brain when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. And it, and it had been that way for a long time, and it seemed the only normal way of thinking, the only normal way of life. And then I started realizing that my brain now is sort of like Greensboro. Now you can't, you can't, my brain is like Greensboro compared to the Miami brain I had when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm like living in Greensboro right now. And then I met some gal, get this if you want to get confused, I get some, met some gal who comes from Greensboro at the wedding. And I was talking to her and I said, holy crap, this gal's got a Miami mind. She was so screwed up and mixed up and, wow, turned around. I realized that there are people living in Greensboro that got Miami minds. That is not even living in Greensboro. That you could have a Miami mind. You could be living in Greensboro and have a Miami mind. And you could be living in Miami and have a Greensboro mind. It may not have that much to do with where you live. But, you know, when it comes right down to it, Forget about the God thing. You know, it really does have to do when you talk, you know, you know, I figured it, see, this is the way I figured it. You know, I'm 57 years old. You know, I have a, I have a, a bunch of, some friends, some people close to me that are dying of terminal cancer. It's just amazing how this thing is going on. My secretary was, um, had a leave, a young girl, 30 years old. I love her and she's a real, um, inspiration, quite frankly. And she's very, very sick with cancer, has three young kids and, I have a good, very good friend who's many years recovering A and he has pancreatic cancer and he's dying. He's in the hospital and I have another friend who I just, who's got about 30 years recovering and he's got lung cancer and he's dying and you know, there's some other, it's like going on around me and, and, uh, 
You know what I realized? I, I, you know, well, I realized this a long time ago, quite frankly. I realized that we're here for like a fleeting period of time and that this isn't a dress rehearsal and this is what all I, I've got. And whatever time I have, maybe it's another 10 years, maybe it's another 20 years. You know what I realized? That I really have a choice of where I want to live and how I want to live. I really have a choice. You see, I don't have to live in Miami. You know, and here's the problem. Just like alcoholism, as I'm up in Greensboro and I'm saying, I'm moving to Greensboro, there's a part of my mind saying, you can't move to Greensboro. It's almost like saying, you can't stop drinking. You can't stop hanging around the bars. You can't start just going to A means. You can't start believing in God. You can't go to church. You know what I mean? You can't do that. You know what I mean? You've got to do it this way because you've always did it this way and this is the only normal way I know how to live. And, and you know, there's a, there's a part of my mind that says this is the only life I have and I could throw the other, the rest of the crap down the toilet and I could do it a whole different way. And there's another part of my mind saying stay sick. Stay sick. Live in Miami, in Miami traffic. Think this way. Be this way. Act this way. Feel this way. Associate with these people. Don't associate with those people. And you know, when it comes right down to it, forget about the God thing, it really has to do with where you want to live. That's really the question that Alcoholics Anonymous asks you. Where would you like to live? Do you want to live in Miami traffic? Or do you want to live in Greensboro traffic? Do you want to pay Miami rates? Do you want to pay Greensboro rates? It really asks you, what kind of life do you want to have? This ain't about God or not God or anything, although it really is. It's really about how you want to live the only life you've been given. You know, there was a, there was a movie called Signs about five years ago with Mel Gibson. There was a great line in Signs, and I remember listening to the time, and I even wrote it down, and I got it off the internet, and, and uh, Mel Gibson paid, uh, I don't know how many people saw this movie. I'm not going to go into what the movie was about and everything, but some weird things happened. It was a weird kind of movie. But at the point, Mel Gibson was a priest that lost his faith because his wife died. And, but there came a point in time when there was a lot of scary stuff going on. And, you know, when scary stuff goes on, we're all sort of like, we all, it's funny how when men get scared and you lose control, you turn to, remember 9-11? Do you remember what, what happened right after 9-11? The most amazing thing happened in this country right after 9-11. There was a one-hour um, news program about a church service in the cathedral in Washington, and all the presidents and ex-presidents were there, and all the congressmen there in church. And now, what are we, two, three years from 9-11? And we're cutting off kids speaking at uh, high schools. You know, all of a sudden, we're ha- fat and happy again, and there's no... Uh, Man, I'll tell you, right after 9-11, everybody was in church. <laughs> everybody was in church. All of a sudden, like, God was important. Nobody was standing up saying, the ACLU wasn't suing anybody. And we were all in church. Man, I'll tell you, nobody cared about denominations or anything after 9-11. But now, all of a sudden, we're sort of like looking at the blemishes and picking this and picking that and saying things, well, yeah, but you talk too much about God. And I'll tell you, when you're feeling your control, you get real arrogant, don't you? So, in any event, there's this line in signs. In, in signs, there's something real bad happening to, like, the human race, and people are getting scared. So they're asking questions about God, and this this guy's uh, this this guy's brother, Mel Gibson's brother, in the movie, starts asking him about faith. And this is what Mel Gibson says. 
And to me, this has a lot to do with our program and about Greensboro and everything I'm talking about. He he asked Mel Gibson about about God and belief and faith, and he says he says, and Mel Gibson says he says, you know, the world is really divided up into two groups of people. He says the first group, group number one, he says, essentially believes that whenever anything happens, it's all a matter of faith, blind luck, you know, you know, luck of the draw, could be good, could be bad, who knows? Flip a coin, it's your turn in the barrel, it's not your turn in the barrel. You win the lottery, you don't win the lottery, because the bottom line is there is no God, there is no big daddy in the on, in the sky, there ain't no Calvary come to save you, and whatever happens, happens. Whatever you get, get. And the bottom line is, the bottom line is, is we are. You are alone. You were born alone. You're going to die alone. You are alone. And when the bottom line is, the only one who's going to watch after you is you, and you are alone. And good things may happen to you or bad things may happen to you, but the bottom line is, is you're alone, and there ain't no body watching over you. And he says, and those people in group one, they live lives of fear. And you can understand why. You can understand why. Because it's a rough world out there. It's a rough world out there. He says, you know, there's another group of people. He says, group two. He says, and, 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 you know, they believe in a God. They believe that there's a benevolent God up there. They may not be able to define it, but they believe there's a benevolent God up there. And they believe he's loving and beloved and is looking out of bed. And he says, you know, things may happen to you. And they may be good things. And they may be bad things. But in the end, because there's a benevolent God watching over us, in the end, it's all going to somehow work out okay. Even during bad times, in the end, they believe, because they believe there is a benevolent God watching over them, another force, that it's going to work out. And they, those people, they live lives of hope. And you can sort of understand that deal. If you, if you belong to that belief system, you understand, you can understand why if you believed in that stuff, if you chose to believe that deal, if you made that decision, you could understand that no matter what happens in your life, you would sort of look at it differently than the person who was in group one. And you know something? The people in group one will never understand the people in group two, understand how they think or why they think. The people, the people, and the people in group two will never be able to quite understand why the people in group one would even want to be in group one. You know? And people in in Miami look at people in Greensboro like they're crazy for wanting to live there. And people in Greensboro are saying, why would you ever want to live in Miami? And it really has nothing to do with Miami or Greensboro. It has to do whether you want to live in group one. It has to do with how you want to live your life. You know, there's people in here that are going to stay sober for 25 years and be happy for their entire lives and feel good about themselves, and it's all because of a decision, because they made a decision. And there are people that are going to be miserable their entire life, and it's all because of a decision. Most, You know, Abe Lincoln said most people are about as happy as they make up their minds to be. It's all because of a decision. Everybody is given the invitation to come to the table. Everybody's given the invitation to come to the banquet. Everybody's invited. Some people are going to say, that's not for me, and some people are going to come. It's, just, it's really as simple as that. And the people that are going to come, who are going to make the decision, and this is all about making, this is really, the third step is all about saying, I'm living in Greensboro. I've decided, I made the decision. The people who have made the decision, you know what they're doing? They're up at 3 o'clock in the morning. 
They're looking for houses in Greenboro. They're calling up people saying, you ever been to Greensboro? What do you think about Greensboro? What do you think about Asheville? What do you think about you know, What do you think of that? They're, thinking about, they're talking to people about Greensboro. They're hanging out with people at Greensboro. The guy, the guy said, why don't you go? He says, no, no, I'm not going there. I'm going up to Greensboro. I told my wife, listen, you know what we did? I don't know about moving to Greensboro. We're going to move there. But you know something? We used to go up to New York for autumn and everything like that. Well, my son's moving there. I said, you know what we're going to do? I've already got the place picked out. I found it. You know, it's called Buckhorn Inn. In, in Buckhorn Inn in, in, uh, where is it? It's in, in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. I already found it. I found the room. I found the place. I went through about 20 of them. He says, we're going up there for a week, you know, in October sometime when the leaves are changing. We're going to go there. We're going to check that sucker out. You know what I mean? Because I know if I get my wife excited about this, we're up there. You know what I mean? She'll just make my life miserable until I actually go up there, you know? So you see, you see, so people make the decision to be in group two. People that come in here and make the decision, to, they're just like, they're just so focused on the group two stuff. They're just hanging out with those people. They're saying, man, I like that guy, Joe Snyder. You know, he's a group two guy. I want to hang out with him. Where's he going? He says, well, we're going over. He says, but he's going over. Where's Joe going? You know, he's, well, I'm going with this guy. I'm going clubbing or something. He says, where's Joe going? He's going over some greasy spoon. We're going to have some coffee. I'm going with him. You know what I mean? I want to go over there. You know what I'm talking about? I said, you know, group two people hang out with group two people. They talk about group two things. You know, it's all about group two. All they want to talk about is group two. Group one talks about group one things. Group one won't understand group two. Group two doesn't understand why group one doesn't want to be with group two, you know? But it's just a decision. That's all the third step is. You decide how you want Do you want to live a life of fear and anxiety? Or do you want to live a life of hope? And this is the only life. It's not like it's not like you get to be like nine years old, you're in your deathbed and said, I think I screwed up. I'd like to try it again in a different way. You know, he says, this is your shot. So, you know. Greensboro, it's all about step three, right? So thank you. Next week we'll talk about step three. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.